Hello, happy Advent. I don't know if that's a thing that people say, but <laughs> I've said it anyway. My name is Alex. I've been part of Grace Church for a while now, and it is my privilege today to journey with you as we look together at the character of Joseph. Now, a sneak peek behind the scenes, but I actually had the opportunity to choose the character that I wanted to focus on for this devotional. And surprisingly to me, I just felt so drawn to study the life of Joseph. And one of the main reasons I wanted to take a look at him is because I suddenly realized, wow, I don't know a lot about Joseph. I really couldn't tell you all that much about him. And I wasn't sure if that was because I'm just less familiar with the passages in the Bible in which he features, or whether it's because the Bible doesn't say all that much about him. But certainly in my mind, Mary gets a lot of airtime, closely followed by the angels and the wise men. But Joseph, well, I'd say he's predominantly overshadowed by his forefather of Technicolor fame. In fact, if you were to type Joseph into Google or Joseph Bible, as I did, there are hundreds of results about Joseph, the one with all the brothers and the coloured coat, but this Joseph, frankly, he doesn't get much of a look in. And in trying to narrow down this Google search, I genuinely came up against the question of, what do I even call him? You know, do you go with Joseph, the husband of Mary, Joseph, stepfather of Jesus, or Joseph, carpenter? Who knows? Well, from the limited information we do have, there are a few things the Bible does tell us about Joseph. And if you're able to, I'd love for you to pause this podcast right now and grab a Bible or read online or on your phone, Matthew chapters 1 and 2. So, what have we learned about Joseph? Well, Matthew spells it out for us that Joseph is the son of a man named Jacob and a descendant of the royal line of King David. Later, in Matthew 13, we learn that he is a carpenter people start to ask about Jesus, is this not the carpenter's son? A carpenter being someone who works with wood, possibly in a line of work that more closely resembles construction than making bookcases or tables, but who knows, maybe we can ask him one day. Regardless of the specifics, we can guess that it perhaps wasn't the best paid job because when Mary and Joseph go to present baby Jesus in the temple after Jesus's birth, they offer a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, which was the sacrifice of the poor who could not afford a lamb. We also learn that Joseph is a just man. The word just here in verse 19 could be translated righteous, observant of the law, one who kept God's commands. It puts him in the same camp as Elizabeth and Zechariah, John the Baptist's parents, Simeon, Joseph of Arimathea, and even Jesus himself. The inference is that he wasn't a nominal Jew, a Jew only in name, but a true believer, an upright and God-fearing man. And, Matthew tells us, he was betrothed to Mary. Now, it's important to understand that betrothal in this time is not the same as being engaged nowadays. Betrothal typically lasted a year. The couple would likely not have been allowed to spend time alone together up until the wedding night, but it was treated as marriage in that Joseph is referred to as Mary's husband and the betrothal could only have been broken or called off by a divorce. 
And this is the situation that Mary and Joseph find themselves facing at the start of chapter two. We learn that Mary is with child and according to the Torah, the Jewish law, sexual relations outside of marriage were punishable by stoning. I think there's some question over whether the stoning would have actually taken place at this time in history, but it was certainly grounds for divorce, if nothing else. We know that Mary has not been unfaithful, that she is pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit alone. But frankly, very few other people are going to know or believe that, perhaps not even Joseph himself. And as an upright and just man, he has a decision to make. And after some deliberation, the Bible tells us he resolved to divorce her. At the time, Joseph's options are essentially to, one, take Mary to court for her to stand trial and be publicly shamed, convicted in front of everyone as a so-called adulterer, her reputation and that of her family ruined. The other option was for Mary and Joseph and likely some of their families as witnesses to gather and Joseph could write her a certificate of divorce. There'd be no trial and it'd be much less public, but Mary's growing belly would later have told any watching eyes everything they needed to know. And Joseph, it says, chooses this latter option. He resolved to divorce her quietly. And it's this one little word, quietly, that makes all the difference and really tells us everything we need to know about Joseph. In his hurt and confusion and embarrassment and pain, Joseph doesn't make a spectacle of Mary. In fact, the Bible goes some lengths to explain to us that he was unwilling to put her to shame. That's a merciful man right there. That he would spare her pain and a severe penalty as far as was in his power to do so. The second thing I'd say about Joseph is that he shows great courage. A dictionary definition of courage would be the ability to do something that frightens one. Or in the well-known quote, Courage is feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And what was this courageous thing that Joseph was called to do? Marry Mary. And for this man, that was a fear-filled prospect. We know this because the angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. You may be scared, but don't let that fear prevent you from moving into all God has planned. And so Joseph marries Mary and that requires courage. Because as soon as he does so, he's signing himself up for a hard life. For a life marked by gossip and scandal and forever rumours about Mary's fidelity. Joseph's squeaky clean reputation is not going to come out untarnished. If anything, he's volunteering to be tarred with the same brush. He's aligning himself with her. And marrying Mary wasn't the only time he was going to need courage. There was perhaps the fear of raising a child sooner than he anticipated, the fear of traveling with a heavily pregnant wife to Bethlehem, the fear for Jesus's life as Herod kills the newborns, the fear that comes with upping and leaving everything he's ever known in the middle of the night to make a journey to Egypt with a young family, the fear and anxiety that comes with leading and providing and protecting. And yet despite all the fear he feels, he still does it anyway. This is a man of courage. This is a man of courage 
And this is a man of obedience. Joseph is a man marked by obedience. Listen to this. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. God says, and Joseph obeys. This is a man marked by obedience. And you might think, great, sounds like a cool guy. I hope I get to meet him someday. But do you know what I found profoundly touching and challenging about Joseph's story? And I have to be careful because I recognise it's not explicitly told us in the Bible. But I don't know that Joseph ever got to see the full fruit of his obedience this side of eternity. And what I mean by that is, well, once we hit Jesus' ministry years, there's lots of mention of Mary and Jesus' brothers, but no mention of Joseph. And while we can't know for sure, I think it wouldn't be far off to guess that it's because he's dead by this point. So it's quite possible that this man, this ordinary man who gives up his life and the prospects of what his life could have looked like, to look after and protect his wife who adopts and raises a son that isn't his own. He doesn't get to see the miracles or hear the teaching or be there for the day of Pentecost. And yet he has played an irreplaceable role in the story, raising a child that will become the savior of the world. And as I was preparing for this devotional, my heart just really went out to all the Joseph-like men that are out there. Men who are just getting their head down, trying to be faithful where they're at, listening to the voice of God, navigating the challenges and the complexities of life. Perhaps even feeling a bit unseen or like you're in a supporting cast role or wondering what a difference any of this makes. Well, if that's you, I really hope that you're here today from the heart of a sister, of a daughter. I was going to say of a mother, but it depends how old you are. Thank you. Thank you for keeping on. Thank you for keeping going, for serving day in and day out. I know our culture doesn't glamorise being faithful or nice or even being good. If anything, at times those words can be used disparagingly against men, but I hope that you know or will at least be reminded afresh today that in God's upside down kingdom, you do the greater work, not the less. And whether you get to see the fruit of those daily acts of mercy and courage and obedience or not, God is using you as an irreplaceable part in his great story. God is always using ordinary men and women for extraordinary purposes, even if we're not always aware of it. Joseph might not leave a legacy of books or preaching to his name like the apostles or miracles and leadership like the disciples. He might not have been a king or a prophet or a priest like a lot of the other men in the Bible we look up to. But he does something we can all aspire to, male or female. He points to Jesus 
And bear with me if this seems a bit far-fetched, but as I was reading this account of Joseph's life, all I could think was, I know another one. I know another one who chose to enter into and identify with us in our weakness and shame. I know another one who faced great fear, but who set his face like flint and walked to that cross anyway. I know another one so merciful that he would spare us the severest death penalty. I know another one whose life was marked by perfect obedience, who laid down, gave up his life for his bride, and because of whom we are adopted into a family and a lineage and a heritage and an inheritance that was not our own. As we close today, I hope Joseph helps you to put things into perspective of what a life well lived looks like. I don't know about you, but if push comes to shove, I truly hope the legacy I leave will be that of Joseph. His life pointed to Christ. Her life pointed to Christ. And even today and for the rest of this season and on into next year, I pray that your life will be marked by mercy and courage and obedience. A life well lived that says, there is a greater one. His name is Jesus and he is already here. God with us.